I am Pastor Ed. Welcome. Several months ago, well before I knew we were going to be doing a series called Crazy Busy, I was in Walmart doing some shopping, and I happened to see somebody that I recognized, somebody who attended church here years ago, many years ago, and I stopped to say hi to him. They said, well, how are you doing, Ed? And I said, good. And then something got a hold of my mind, and I decided to, uh, because I knew this person, I decided to try a little different response, you know, uh, uh, to them. So rather than uh, good, uh, you know, busy, you know, things are really kind of crazy, a lot of things going on, kind of hectic, I I decided to uh, give an opposite response. And I found myself struggling for words, and I think they saw the awkwardness. I was trying to say something. But, you know, something like, um, life is sane, kind of slow, calm, you know, plenty of time, uh, enough time to figure out what to do next. You know, nothing pressing. And, you know, I I could tell from their look that they kind of, what's that guy about? Is he from a different planet, you you know? Uh, um, And then... After I got my shopping done, I get in my pickup and I'm driving away. Uh, all of a sudden, the thought came to my mind. I, I start second guessing how I responded. I found maybe I shouldn't have said that. I, I may have given the impression that I'm expendable. <laughs> I, I, I may have given the idea I'm, I'm not needed and, and there's nothing for this guy to do. Not just nothing to do uh, in terms of ministry, but... Uh, serving society and, and my family. I, 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 he, he must not be very important. I, I thought, I, I better not do that again. I, I, I better uh, convince this person that I'm incredibly busy. Uh, um, lest they start to question my value and my worth, my contribution to society. Uh, you know, it made me realize there is this cultural belief that if you're not busy, you're not needed. And coupled with that is the belief that uh, the busier you are, the more needed you must be. Hmm. Uh, According to two sociologists, uh, one from Georgetown and Harvard, who partnered together and they wrote this article for the Journal of Consumer Research, They're telling us in our culture, because it's different here, in our culture, in Western society, as we experience it, that uh, busyness now serves as a new status symbol. They talk about alternative status symbols. And busyness is one way to acquire a sense of status amongst folks in society. Uh, Listen to their uh, one little paragraph from uh, that article that they wrote for Consumer Research. The gleam of being both well-off and time-poor, the author's right, is driven by perceptions that a busy person possesses desired human capital characteristics, such as competence and ambition, and is scarce and in demand on the job market. In a curious reversal, the the aspirational objects here are not some luxury goods, a nice watch or car, which now are mass-produced and more widely available than they used to be, but workers themselves 
who by bragging about how busy they are can signal just how much the labor market values them and their skills. Our culture allows us an ingenious device. It allows us to use busyness uh, uh, to control and to work in order to acquire something, to feed an appetite, to feed an appetite of my pride, to acquire an increased status among other people, something that I can manipulate and work. However, using busyness for that purpose does nothing more than feed an addiction. Because if you're feeding off of it to acquire status, you're going to go from spinning 10 plates in the air and people being admired to all of a sudden now to get the same kind of satisfaction, same kind of sense of importance, you're going to have to start spinning 12 plates and then 14 and then 20. And the only way for this to come to an end, typically, is for those plates to come crashing down that you can't sustain it, and then you're faced with the reality. It's either that or doing a driver update. What's a driver update? Well, this idea came to me because of computers. Occasionally, I'm you know, working on my computer, and best I know, everything's working fine to some degree, but all of a sudden it pops up, you need a driver update. What it's telling you is that there has been some kind of switch and now you need to update that software driver so that it's in sync and it works effectively, maximum efficiency with the hardware. It's time to update what's driving that software so that you can uh, maximize that tool. So occasionally, you, thankfully, it pops up on the screen and you know it's time to do a driver update. Well, I'm suggesting if you find yourself, life is busy, we need to do a driver update. We need to take a step back and ask, what is driving my busyness? God, what is that all about? So that we can discern whether I need a driver update. Because some things that are driving my busyness are not healthy as a growing follower of Jesus Christ? Is my busyness driven by an appetite for status or pride? Is my busyness driven by a want or a need? Is my busyness more about my emotional need than my responsibility? Now, it's important I stop here and we define terms. What I find the Christian faith, because often we don't define our terms, that those outside of the church, non-Christian, they may reject Christ only because we have not clearly defined terms. And here's one term we need to define, and that is pride. Sometimes we give a mistaken notion. My question that I use as an example is your busyness driven by your pride. Now, let me sound almost um, counter by saying, I don't think it is wrong for one's busyness to be driven by pride. I'm going to say it again. I don't believe it is wrong for one's busyness to be driven by pride. Now, for the sake of all of you to enjoy this, I did this first service, but this is where I'm going to say, I know you're going to believe with me because I know Pastor Derek 
agrees with me that that statement is true. At least he didn't confront me in between services when I made that announcement the first time. Oh, you're going to hold judgment a little bit longer. Okay. Well, this is why I can say that. This week, just this week, probably on Wednesday, he sent to the staff our annual self-assessment review. This is something we do yearly where he sends us a series of questions where the staff is invited to reflect, not just in terms of ministry, but how's family, how's your spiritual walk with Christ, how is life going? And we are invited to respond to a series of questions, send it back to him, then we set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting and talk it through. It's a, a great time of celebration to make adjustments and to move forward. And then he takes that and he uses it as he interacts with the elders as to, um, you know, how things progressing as a church. But on this self-assessment, he has right at the top Galatians 6.4. And here it is. Each one of you should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Uh, you can't get out of that, Pastor Derry. You, you, you have that right on there. What this shows is how we got to define our terms. Pride is one of those. We use it in two different ways, this idea of pride. I think we see the value of taking pride in your work. We are told to uh, work as unto the Lord. To be diligent, you reflect Jesus Christ. A workman is worth his wages, uh, Scripture tells us. Taking pride in one's work is an internal motivation. When you take pride in your work, you are motivated to that task that goes beyond just the paycheck. You're thankful for the paycheck, but your diligence goes far beyond that. You're not working now just to get by. When I go into my wood shop and I create something and then I take a step back, and granted, you got to get quite a ways back so you don't see all the blemishes, and I, I admire it. I, I get this incredible sense of accomplishment. Uh, now's the season we're working in our gardens and reclaiming that space from the winter and the weeds that are now flourishing and we reclaim it and we bring beauty to it and we take a step back and there's a sense of pleasure and delight at what you've accomplished. Likewise, parents take pride in their kids or other relatives. You know, when that child is standing there at the edge of the pool or the diving board and the parents inside the water saying, hey, jump off, you can do it. And you can see their fear and apprehension, and they're not sure if they want to do it, but they finally take that jump. And you go, oh, I'm proud of you. You faced your fear. There's a sense of pride that they faced that fear, and they still decided to take that step forward. This is healthy. Pride is merely the definition, as we talk about, the healthy aspect of pride is a feeling or deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, a deep pleasure from one's own achievements or the achievements of those whom one is closely associated with. Scripture itself, I think of Genesis where God creates and even God takes a step back 
and we read the words, this statement, this is good. Likewise, at the baptism of his son, Jesus Christ, and the dove appears, and they hear a voice from heaven, and it's, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. You don't need to feel guilty for taking pride in your work. You should. I think that's an expression that we are created in the image of God. God is a creator God, and he takes delight in that. It's something that is wholesome and is beautiful to be appreciated. There is a healthy pride that will motivate you to be busy, to be crazy busy, but not to be too busy. There's a crazy, there is an unhealthy pride that encourages you to be busy and crazy busy. But there's an unhealthy pride that will stir you towards being too busy. For that reason, uh, to try to communicate these really uh, two aspects of, of pride, we sometimes differentiate that word. And that will often, they will inject the word vanity here. When used vanity, they are referring to an unhealthy pride. Vanity is this appetite, this thirst, this uh, craving for an excessive pride. Pride that's over the top. Pride that's no longer healthy. It's a, a pride that is really aimed at trying to gain status from being busy. It's no longer about responsibility. It's about you. Ecclesiastes tells us vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. The word translated there, vanity, is a vapor, like a mist that uh, appears for a moment. And you go to grab it and it's gone. Feeding off of busyness to try to acquire status is just like a vapor. That's why you're going to have to produce, spend more plates and more plates because you grab it at one hand, there is a sense of status, but then poof, the next day it's gone. So you got to stir, uh, uh, spend more plates. Here today, gone tomorrow. You have to start to manufacture more. Uh, feeding this desire for status from busyness is just like the rat in the cage that is running feverishly on the wheel as though he's going to get somewhere. The only thing he gets is tired. And that's what we will end up with. It's just being tired. It's addictive. God tells us, you know, we talk about allowing the gospel to saturate your heart and mind, that the gospel changes everything, a series that we have done. See, God offers a fresh alternative Something different that's driving, if nothing else, evangelistically in terms of uh, trying to help people to consider Christ in the gospel. Here's a great point because they, they can certainly relate to uh, the hecticness of life and, and this drive of being busy where God says, all of you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you're willing to walk away from that addictive nature of trying to acquire status by busyness, you link up with me. You find your fulfillment, your satisfaction in me. I will give you rest. It's okay to be busy. It's okay to be crazy busy. But don't fabricate a busyness in order to 
try and meet an unmet emotional need in you. That's just distracting you from the work that the Spirit of God wants to do. So from time to time, we need driver updates. What is driving your busyness? Is it serving others? Or is it serving self? It's hard to discern sometimes. We are a mixed bag of motivations. Some are pure, some are not pure. And they interweave themselves so often in our life. So here are some uh, from the book that uh, we um, have used to give us a skeletal idea how we want to approach this short series. Here are some voices that might be uh, occupying space in your head that you might recognize, which could be an indication of an unhealthy pride driving your busyness, taking pride in possessions, using busyness to prove oneself. I smile a little largely because this is uh, my Achilles heel. Feeling sorry for oneself due to busyness. Being in control or perfectionism. All of those, if those are ruminating, uh, moving around in your mind, are probably an indication that there's some thirst for excessive pride that's operating within you. Uh, Kevin DeYoung in the book um, to help us discern what drives busyness from healthy versus unhealthy because these are all boiling around in us. He asks one question. Am I trying to do good or am I trying to look good? If busyness has been feeding your appetite for status, let's um, talk how we will counter it, how we start waging a, a war against it. And keep in mind, I, I think we need to understand the context here. We are a mixed bag. We're all in process. This is why we come to church, not only to worship, but to get in groups, to remind each other that we are in this process. Sometimes the Bible calls it sanctification. It's allowing God's Spirit to work through us to purify some of these motivations that are not helpful as a follower of Jesus Christ. They're counterproductive. He wants to work those out so it comes, the motivations are more pure. Our motivations to be busy is to do good, and it's less about what I'm getting in return. And so I want us to look at the parable of the talents. And I want us to imagine uh, there's three servants. We're only going to focus on two of the servants. It's a parable where an owner has resources, and he gives five talents. And talents is just a unit of weight to usually weigh out an amount of money or gold or silver that somebody had. And so this wealthy owner was going to go on this long journey, the scripture tells us, and he entrusts some of his goods, his money, to these servants. And the first two servants were focused there because I think they really epitomized some beliefs we need to incorporate in our own mind to leverage against a tendency to uh, have an excessive pride driving our busyness. So I, I think, in other words, if these two servants were with us today, I'm pretending they're with us today, and they're standing up here with me, and I would say, what would you like to say? These folks out here tend to, maybe because they live in Dallas and not metropolitan Portland, uh, but they tend to, as well, live busy lives. Some, at times, maybe 
excessively uh, busy, too busy. Why would you want to tell these folks? What would they say to you? Here are three things I'm taking from this passage of Scripture in Matthew 25. The first thing they would say, keep, leave you waiting here a little bit. Keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. You know, I, I, t I take that from, the, there's a saying, uh, begin with the end in mind. So really, I, I'm saying take a step back from time to time to remind yourself, what is the end? What is really the end? Uh, Matthew, this section of scripture, and we're looking particularly at Matthew 25, but these two chapters, chapter 24 and 25, are what they call the Olivet Discourse. This is where the Olivet Discourse, it's kind of handy because it was on the Mount of Olives. Uh, but Jesus Christ is, uh, the disciples want to know, we see in uh, 24 verse 3, uh, what's the sign of the coming, the end of the age? They want to know. Jesus Christ is preparing the disciples. He's going to be gone. Okay, uh, when are you going to return? We believe Jesus Christ, his first coming was at birth there at Bethlehem. He's coming again. They want to know, when are you going to come back? Uh, these two chapters, 24 and 25, are about that. 25, chapter 25. Now, Matthew 25 he gives them two parables. The first parable, 1 through 13, is, what is often referred to as the parable of the ten virgins. They were told to keep a, a watch, but they didn't get themselves ready. Five of them didn't have enough oil. They left. The, the groom comes while they were gone, and so they missed out. And the whole parable we see summed up in verse 13, 25 verse 13. Uh, look there with me. Therefore, the first parable's teaching is, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour, because you do not know the day or the hour. So keep watch. And then in chapter 25, he tells us there to work. It's, again, the parable of the talents, where the owner gives these uh, resources to these servants and he's entrusted them to them and to be productive, opportunistic, industrious with them. So these two parables, during this time period that we find ourselves in, he is saying, watch and work. Some of us find that difficult. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather uh, just watch and not work. I would like to justify my just watching because uh, um, that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I, I, I would like to justify my not working because I'm watching. And then there's others who are wired or maybe because of emotional need, they would like to justify this incredible, too busy workaholism in exchange for not watching as an excuse for why they're not wa watching. Uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he doesn't give us those choices. It's both. Watch and work. Don't work or get so busy with your work, you forget to watch. And at the same time, don't get too busy watching, you don't work. Be busy. And at times the season, be crazy busy, but not too busy that you neglect one of those two. 
If you tend to be addicted to a busyness that distracts from that which is of most importance in life, remind yourself of the end, which tells us Jesus Christ is returning. And despite what's going on in the here and now, it tells us he will make all things right in the end. So let's remind each other to take a deep breath, to chill out a little bit, to maybe relax the, uh, the coils on the internal springs. Scripture tells us, you know, when I, when I think of the end, that might serve as a, a good perspective in trying to monitor, uh, okay, is this busyness really being driven by something that, that is worthy or not? Scripture tells us that these bodies are going to die. These bodies are corruptible. He's going to give us an incorruptible body. So we're only passing through this life. He tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Things are going to be changed. This is not the end. We need to remind ourselves that. But yet we fabricate a busyness as though this is the end. We buy into a world philosophy. You know, I, I, we only go around once in life. I better grab the gusto while I can. Each Sunday, we're injecting a spiritual discipline and inviting you to, you know, pick at least one to try to counterbalance some of this crazy busyness that uh, culture is generating. And today, I'm going to uh, suggest one, which is worship at the end. However, as I was preparing, uh, I, I came across another spiritual discipline, but one that we don't hear much about because I, I at least I have not read it in any books. Uh, it really comes back from about the 15th, 1500s or later. Um, it, it's one that I think we would be a little bit uncomfortable with, and that is called the spiritual discipline of the remembrance of death. See, automatically, culturally, we get, you know, that... that that's myself included. But not all cultures and generations view death as we do. Certainly not out here in the West. Some of the uh, church fathers back in those earlier days, like I mentioned, at least the 1500s, they would uh, talk about death as making death our servant. They found a great spiritual benefit in looking death in the face and seizing its reality and making it their servant. They used death to teach themselves how to live. It didn't quite carry the same tones as I think most of us feel as why we avoid using that as a positive spiritual discipline. Uh, by the way, I, I mentioned this in, in first service. You know, we have questions that we encourage our, our um, uh, gospel community groups to uh, interact about. Well, this may be a good one. How comfortable are we talking about this as a spiritual discipline, the remembrance of death? Remind yourself death is not the end, but the doorway into a new heaven and a new earth. It's a doorway into eternity. So when you tend to get so too busy uh, because of this spot in time, stretch your timeline to eternity. Use that perspective. Enjoy the here and now. Make the most of the opportunities God gives, but don't pack it in as though this is the end. Uh, the second thing these two servants uh, that are a good example to us, I think, would tell, tell us is 
Uh, receive life as a gift. Receive life as a gift. Look at verse 14 here in this parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. He entrusted. He gave it. It wasn't because of work. It wasn't because of their looks, their strength. It was purely a gift, and he entrusted. There was no sense of uh, entitlement. There was nothing they did to earn it. They did not fabricate a, a busyness to try and acquire it. They just received it. And it was a different amount. We don't read any sense of, well, why did he get five and I only got two? When you're given a gift, you receive graciously. And you give graciously. This master who's entrusting the money um, is going on a journey. This journey we read in verse 19 here, after a long time. So the master is entrusting these resources to his servants. He's going to go on a journey. It's not like traveling today where you hop on a plane, you're in New York in hours. And you might come back in three days. If he's going on a journey, it's going to be lengthy and it's going to be risky. Maybe the master won't come back. Maybe he'll be killed on the way on the journey. Or health may be taken from him. The point here, though, is regardless how long the journey is, regardless of whether the, the master's coming back or not, the servants are faithful. They've been given a gift, and what's motivating them is purely the relationship they have with the master. All these other circumstances, because it's conjectured that perhaps the one that got one gift and he ends up burying it in the ground, and when the master comes back, he said, the least you could have done is give it to my, the, um, the bank so I could have at least got credit. Many conjecture he was hoping that the master would not come back and that he could take it as his own. The other two servants uh, received it as a gift. And so now what's motivating them is not a busyness to try to acquire something, but it's a busyness out of a relationship, and they want to be faithful to it. When we get, whether it's five, two, whatever it is, be thankful to the master. Be thankful that he's entrusted anything to you. Excessive pride would say, I should get the same amount as the one who has entrusted five. This is not a commentary on equal pay for equal work. That's a contractual obligation. God does not owe us anything. Don't organize your life as though you can manipulate life to where he now does owe you something. As though busyness is a way to gain it. Out of his character, he chose to give and give graciously. You know, we can so exercise this understanding that life is a gift that even the air you breathe can be considered a gift. 
See, now, you know, when, when we don't have issues with breathing, we just take it for granted. But you talk to folks that have to carry oxygen and they're dependent upon it and they know what it's like to not get a full, uh, full lung capacity of, of air and they could say, my, the air you breathe is a gift. Think of it as a gift. Exercising and understanding that all of life is a gift will help you chill out. It may help you not pack quite as much in because you realize I, I don't have to feed off of that busyness to acquire something for myself, such as status. The last thing is focus on faithfulness. I think they would tell you, focus on faithfulness. He gives different amounts to each of the uh, servants. Looking at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. No mention how many talents. No mention that he multiplied them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share my master's happiness. Five. He gave five back to the master. Now the next servant had two. And he put it to work. He worked hard for his master. But he was only able to give two. Notice I said only. But notice what the uh, master tells him. The very same thing that he told the man who gave five. Uh, my point here is not about the amount. It was about their faithfulness to the master. Verse 22, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The very same words that he said to the man with five, he says to, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Their busyness was not about comparing each other. Their busyness was about being faithful. Faithful to the one that they love, that they admire. The master, because of that relationship, entrusted them. And they were found to be faithful. Excessive pride wants to create a system so I can control life in God's favor, so I can create a sense that it's due me. Excessive pride creates a busyness to try and get a leg up on a brother or sister. God says, quit fooling yourselves. All that is doing is inflating your own ego. Instead, receive whatever you're given as a gift and be faithful with the gift given to you. God does not measure your worth by how well your kids score on the SAT score, how many points they scored in a game, how much money you make, nor the car you drive. And most certainly, he does not measure your worth by how busy you are. It's not about how busy you are, but it's how faithful you are with the resources that God has entrusted in your care. Now, as I mentioned, you know, we are a mixed bag. 
And sometimes our motivations are pure. Sometimes they're impure. So whether your motivations uh, that contribute the drivenness, uh, that contribute to the busyness of schedule, whether 1% is driven by excessive pride or vanity or 99%, keep in mind these three things. Use them as a counterbalance. This is not the end. Back off that tendency. This is not the end. Receive life as a gift and put more focus on being faithful to God our Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit that He has given to you. I think another way to bring balance here and work against this cultural that I, I think in Scripture would call the pride of life that is just culturally inborn. You know, when it says to be transformed, not conformed to the world, this is part of the work we are called to as Christians. We are invited into. I think one way uh, to counter it is through worship. Is through worship. And so the spiritual discipline I'm encouraging us to focus on this morning is worship. And by that, I'm really talking about spend more time, myself, meditating on God, the person, God. Take a step back and try to get a hold of uh, just the size and the power and the might, the glory of God, the person. Part of that is to identify childish conceptions of God. There's a great book out by J.B. Phillips. It's an old book, but it's titled, Your God is Too Small. He starts out the whole first half of the book identifying misconceptions of God. God, uh, uh, an understanding of God that probably got implanted as a child that we perhaps are still carrying with us into adulthood. And if that's the case, when it comes to worship, his point is, why would you worship a God if it's nothing more than a projection of your uh, thoughts of him as a child. You need to identify those, whether it's God the policeman who's going to, uh, um, you know, uh, whack you, or Santa Claus will give you everything. Uh, whatever that misconception about God, you need to spend some time so that you are drawn into this more glorious, this more biblically accurate understanding of who this God is. So certainly you got to have the Bible out. But here are some other ways. As with the Bible out, I think there are other ways that God can expand your uh, concept and understanding of the majesty of God, such as uh, ponder the names of God. <clears throat> ponder the names of God. Just uh, try to sink your teeth into Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. And see if you can massage an understanding of even the air I breathe, the many things I take for granted, you can now receive as an expression, really, from God. And just go through an incredible array of names of God and dig deeper uh, in appreciation for how they manifest themselves in the here and now. Uh, I think we all, at times, you know, you're standing out there and this is the season, you know, you're out there camping or it's the starlit night and you're looking up into the uh, expanse and just overwhelmed. Allow that to draw to try to reflect on God as he's revealed himself in scripture. Same kind of thing. Sometimes it can hit you uh, the incredible, uh, um, gracious, loving, 
God that gives gifts when you think about your own child and you look into the face and you receive that child as a gift from God. <clears throat> Music, art, worship, I think this last one kind of conveys that uh, we're really looking here to cultivate a 24-7 uh, uh, walk with Christ uh, to allow the Spirit, not just when you're here, but to allow the Spirit of God, uh, really the real laboratory, the real classroom is out there 24-7 and allow the majesty of God to just surprise you when it comes. When circumstances in your life converge at one point and you see God more clearly, more with, with the majesty that is in Scripture. And in conclusion then, may, may God's greatness reduce your appetite for excessive pride. Spend time just chewing on the greatness of God to where it starts to work against that incredible appetite that has developed for excessive pride. I think of John the Baptist, you know, when, when uh, Jesus Christ comes on the scene, uh, to me it's miraculous, uh, where he says, I must decrease, so he increases. Father, you have a lot of work in us, and we're thankful for your long-suffering, and, and you are active in doing that work. You give us brothers and sisters to bring about. Your spirit works through them, works through the Bible, multiple arrays. So, God, we want to be a growing church family that reflects accurately Jesus Christ. So help us to walk away from a busyness if it's being produced by an excessive pride that is more about self than serving others. Thank you for your gentleness in Christ's name. Amen.